Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work get seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down being a public figure. But before we dive in too deeply, remember that we release bonus content for each episode over on patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. So if you want to support us and get yourself even more information and resources and beautiful infographics that I slave over in Canva every <laughs> month for you, uh, definitely check it out, patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. But um, with that said... How are we defining public figures for this conversation? Because we are very implicit, like explicitly not talking about like how to be famous, because that would be an insane conversation for the two of us to have and also yeah. not super relevant. However, I do think that there is a level of like public figureness that anyone who's making indie films like has to interact with at some point or another, regardless yeah. of how like successful you get so well, I don't know how do you how do you define the concept of public figures for the context of this conversation I think it's someone who makes public appearances that they promote in advance in some capacity because if you're teaching a workshop if you're speaking at a festival your film is screening if you're a musician you know and your band is playing like anything that involves telling people where you're going to be telling strangers where you're going to be in yeah, advance I think that's, like, that's a key <laughs> And that's like a that's definition. A, that's like a core part of how you build a career. Mm -hmm. Is announcing you're going to be somewhere and then being somewhere. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, when was the first time in your like film career that you realized that you were a public figure, or that you were becoming to, or on the way to being a public figure? Like, when did it occur to you that strangers knew who you were, or were about to know who you were? Um. So in twenty. 14 I think it was I had a film screening at the Queens World Film Festival and a guy showed up and was really fucking weird <laughs> and was like <laughs> was like oh I'm so excited to see your film I've been following you on Twitter and he was like called himself a filmmaker but didn't really have a film or any kind of like presence that implied that he was a filmmaker he didn't have a film screening or had any past films to speak of and like at first it was cool I guess like the initial sort of because you're you know you want people to know about your work but mm -hmm. but then he was like hovering he was hovering very strangely and then I realized he wanted to see where I was going to sit so he could sit next to me Ugh. And it just mm. felt weird. Like, it was the first time I ever became aware very tangibly of, like, oh, I've told people I'm going to be at a thing, and someone showed up to meet me. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. And there have obviously been very, like, good examples of that that didn't make me uncomfortable, but this was, sure. like, the first time that I really, I think, felt it. And, huh. it, and it was, like, I in a negative that... way. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the, you having a very negative initial experience, I wonder how much that kind of colored the rest of your opinions about it and why, you know, you have private social media accounts and I do not. Yeah, I mean, this was like it, uh, years ago, right? This was 2014 before I even started working at Seed and Spark, before I started running. Well, I was running IndieWorks, but it was only like a year in at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And so I still very much embraced being a quote unquote public figure for like nearly a decade after that. And it wasn't until recently where I started to really become very much like not wanting it at all. And I think part of it is because it started, and we can talk about this throughout the episode, but it started to become too like expected and too intertwined with my identity that I found it really hard to like exist outside of like being witnessed by people, being seen by people, sure, being you know? perceived. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, but but yeah, that like that negative one made me very aware of posting in advance and like what that meant, especially because so much of my job at Seaton Spark was traveling by myself. Sure, oftentimes to like the south or to yeah. like really small towns. Very yeah, pe like places where it's like you could. It's not, it's, it wouldn't be hard to find me and find out where I was staying and like, you know, sure. be my Lyft driver because like I took so many lifts all over the place and it's like, yeah, it was just, I became very aware of 
that then? Like, what is what does that mean when I post that I'm gonna be at this festival in two weeks that's in a totally other state and I'm gonna be all by myself staying in possibly an Airbnb because at the time, Season Spark, I wasn't booking that, someone else was booking that and they tended to go for Airbnbs over hotels. And, it, and like, I had a very weird experience in an Airbnb once where after that I was like, never fucking again. <laughs> at least like by myself. Sure. Yeah, solo Airbnb is so scary as a, as a woman. Also, at this point, hotels are cheaper. Totally, so kind yeah. Of I mean, like around now, <laughs> hotels that's are just cheaper. Just a side tangent about Airbnb. And it, yeah, and whatever. I, like we could go off on Airbnb as <laughs> the, like gentrifying entity that it is. But anyway, that experience definitely set me up. I think to be very aware going into what was then going to become like a decade of being a very public figure. So that's fair. Yeah, as you were talking, I realized that like I was aware of the nature of being in public long before I became a filmmaker because when I was like I was an early adopter of a lot of technology because my mm-hmm. dad was a computer consultant, so he was an early adopter of a lot of technology and for a long time like I I very much followed in his footsteps um and so as a result, I had like my own website domain in uh, at 13 years old. And even before that, I was like active on a lot of websites. I was an early adopter of a lot of social media platforms. And there were a lot of them that weren't just about connecting you to people you already knew. There was this old social, sort of social media platform, sort of browser plugin called StumbleUpon. Have we talked about this before? Do you? No. <laughs> Do you know what StumbleUpon is? I do I don't, not. I think it still exists technically, but back in the day before the the web the web was like networked the way that it is now, when it was just a, a series of completely disconnected like websites, um, StumbleUpon was a bl- a browser extension that uh, you would tell it like your general interests. You would click a button and it would just take you to a random website. Um, either within one of your random interests or if you were searching via a specific interest like online games, like movies and TV or whatever. It would take you to a website that was like networked or tagged as that thing. Mm -hmm. And it was this whole community of people who just like scoured the web. And when they found a new website, they if it wasn't already like registered on StumbleUpon, you could like tag it as you know whatever the tags are and review it and then it would come up so like a lot of my early um website posts got archived on stumble upon and so I, I still get hits on very weird like from 2007 blog posts on my website and it's because they were originally like added to the stumble upon network and so people are still finding it through that whether it's stumble upon or not it's like on the internet from an early age but in any case there was also messaging on stumble upon which i've always found strange why is mm-hmm. why is that a capability that's not what this is um and so i had a number of obviously old men <laughs> messaging me on stumble upon because i used like an actual photo of myself mm. rookie mistake for a 12 year old but i was 12 in my defense sure. i didn't put i put my first name but not my location because like my dad <laughs> nailed it into me very early like don't put too much identifying information on the internet but like you could follow brie around the internet like even if you didn't know anything else about me you could but i remember there was a day where somebody on stumble upon was like asking me a lot of like really weird personal questions. He was also very invested in my first boyfriend when I got my first boyfriend and didn't love that, but you know, did my best to like not make him angry. But when I wouldn't answer a question, he sent me my home address, my full name. Um, and I think like one of my parents' phone numbers, he just oh like sent it God. to me. Out of the room. He's like, I'm not going to do anything about this, but just so you know, it's out there. And I was like, immediately blocked him. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, I think he probably That's got it so from scary. like the who is mm-hmm. data from like my website probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then another time, a guy that I met on StumbleUpon who like started messaging me, I found out that he had a Twitter account and the name of the Twitter account, like the profile name was like his name uh but the the so the at was at i love brianna mm. um or, and like he only had two tweets and they were both about me um it was very strange so like this is this was my internet experience <laughs> at like 12 13 years old and, um, and i had a plug <laughs> and i stuck with it because i love attention <laughs> no but like i i learned early that like that is an option. So, uh, but I at least learned 
not to engage, which I think was important. Mm. Like a lot of the times, like, cause I just wanted to be polite and like, I just wanted to, you know, make friends with people. Cause I was like a weird teenager. And then <laughs> very quickly, the men of the internet was like, these aren't your friends. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to be weird and creepy to you. Don't respond to randos. So I think that was an education. But then the first time I recognized that I might be becoming a public figure again, but for like a reason that I wasn't annoyed by was also through the internet. And it was when uh, I was like searching my web series name in, uh, in on Tumblr. Cause I was just curious yeah. if there was like any options. And one post came up from a high school student who had included brains in her like list of media that she had discovered that she was becoming a big fan of and I was Mm -hmm. like holy shit there is no reason why this random teenager from Connecticut should know who I am this is this is huge um and we're we're still mutuals on social media she's no longer a high schooler so nobody freak out um (laughs) but that was so I had a very good experience early on um from that I would say like on the flip side because I recall that was 2014, but even earlier in 2013 when we were releasing episodes of Kelsey and we had, like, people, yeah, high schoolers who were watching it and people who were making all these memes. You know, it was big on Tumblr, which I wasn't on and, like, didn't even really understand. But, but Kelsey, real-life Kelsey, would send me sure. all these images of, of people on Tumblr being huge fans of character Kelsey and her love interest, Joanne. And, I mean, uh, it's because Tumblr's for gay people, Christina. Yes. You're not allowed on Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, there were, like, people tweeting at me that were just nobodies. Like, as far as I was concerned, I didn't know who they were. Not that they were nobodies in the, you know, grand scheme of things. But in the, my life, I sure. had no idea who they were. <laughs> and, um, and, like, I started, I wrote this blog series that was hashtag directing Kelsey and it was like breaking down all the choices in every episode and there were people that were like the only thing better than an episode of Kelsey is is getting this blog post from the director and it's like what the fuck are you talking about I don't think it's better but that's like (laughs) awesome that you're actually reading in and into it so like that was a really exciting time for me where I started to realize like we were filling a need for people in terms of what they weren't getting and they were just kind of falling in love with it and and that was exciting I will say, though, that there was a very uncomfortable situation that came out of it, too, for Kelsey, because she kind of got a stalker out of the situation. This woman, I think, was ultimately harmless and and sweet, maybe, and just, like, really lonely. But it got weird for a while because she would try and get Kelsey's attention, and when she wouldn't get it, she would come at me. And I remember one time she was, like, DMing me and said something to me and it took me a while she said that I was like such a nice person and then it took me like 12 hours to respond to her and she was like maybe you're not such a nice person and um, that's like men on dating app behavior that's yes awful. and and then we were crowdfunding um in 2014 for two shorts and she gave 1500 bucks to the campaign and and we both were kind of like do we accept this because she's been a little bit entitled to our time like feeling entitled to our time and this will only increase that but it's not like we're making any promises it's through this campaign and like the -hmm. only thing we owe her is the reward and she was cool and like she was ended up being fine but there was a weird window in time like when kelsey's first started dating danny (laughs) she like would comment some weird shit and like try and create drama with them Oh, no. So, yeah, it was very, it was a very weird situation. And so I feel like if Kelsey were on this podcast, she would, this, she has been very, very, like, not interested in being a public figure in the slightest while mm-hmm. wanting her work to be seen on a mass scale. And I think she's been very grateful that I have been the one to be, like, the face of things that we've worked on as the director and that I just, like, naturally became a public figure because of my job at Seed and Spark and teaching and all of that. Um, and even at sure. festivals, I was like the one that would do the Q and A's more. She's very, very private in general, um, and I think it's been interesting because then, like, Danny's very public <laughs> on the other <laughs> side of of things. Um, so she kind of like makes up for the fact that Kelsey, you wouldn't even know she exists if not for Danny <laughs> posting. But uh, I think that experience kind of 
like set a tone for her very early on where she really did not want to be a public figure. I wonder then in because like I I am so impressed that she's managed to maintain that boundary. But I also wonder if like without you or Danny, she would she she would have the same like I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I guess there is a level to which you have to be available, especially as an indie person who doesn't have other people promoting on your behalf, that if you want to be completely private, it's probably going to be tough. And mm-hmm. so yeah. it's good that she had people being uh, in public for her. So with that, like, is there anything you wish you had done differently or you wish you had known, um, especially at the beginning of your like decade of being perceived uh, <laughs> that like you would advise other people who maybe are a little bit earlier in the phase to like consider? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think you have to be a public figure. Like you have to embrace being a brand because everything I said about Kelsey, you're right. She could not, she could not exist without, as an artist, she cannot exist without having people around her who are carrying that weight. And I should also say that Kelsey was always like, when we had to do pitch videos for crowdfunding campaigns, she would be in that pitch video and she would like send emails, but she was not a social media person and she was not. Sure. She was just like very good with boundaries of like, these are my boundaries around how much I'm willing mm-hmm. to share and show. And I think early on, I would just like, show anyone anything and everything. And I think it did benefit me because like, I was able to crowdfund through primarily strangers, at least early on, because I was so open and like, here I am, I'm a person and know me and like me beyond just like, I wanna make a thing because I I hadn't made anything. So it was like, you can't be a fan of my work when I barely have any work. You have Mm -hmm. to be like, you have to be a fan of me. And so I was very open and I would show you my whole life. And I don't think that it was a bad thing. It just meant like having some weird instances like that guy showing up and being weird. Mm -hmm. And, And so I don't know, I would say just be conscious of what, like the the context around what you're putting out there when you're going to physically be somewhere. Because, you know, you want to be maybe, you want to treat, every circumstance differently. Like I later started treating circumstances very differently. If I knew it was like an event at night and I was going to be there completely by myself and I would have to, you know, walk to and from my hotel because sometimes that was the case Mm -hmm. or versus like something at 10 a.m., you know, in an auditorium where I would be like with other people who my were coworkers or I had my spouse sure. with me or, you know, Kelsey and I were traveling together for a festival. Like those were very different situations. I would approach how I would share, how I would promote and promote specifically my presence there changed mm-hmm. from, you know, situation to situation. And earlier on, I didn't do that. I was just like, I'm going to be here, show up. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. I was just hopeful that anyone would show up and was grateful that anyone showed up but then started to have these situations where I was like, oh, maybe don't, like maybe don't be so open. Um, yeah, and, and I think like, I'm at a point now where I can be selective about how much of a public figure I am because I have, I have an email list of, you know, thousands. Mm-hmm. I have a newsletter that goes out where I can see exactly who opens it. And I can see like who my super fans are who like click every link. And, you know, does that does that email make me uncomfortable? Do I know who that person is? Maybe I want to look into that person a little bit more. But early on, I couldn't do that. I was just like shouting to the void of like whoever sees it, sees it. And you have to start there to get to where I am, where I can be selective because I have a base of people I can go to directly. And so I'm not saying don't do that, but do it strategically. My go-to nowadays is to not want to be on social media at all. But I don't know. I, I still think that young people just starting out have to be, even though I think it's a shit well, show. Well, you also aren't though. actively sure, but you also aren't actively promoting anything right now. Like I'm curious, once your your feature comes out, what the the Christina Rea 2.0 on the internet is going to look like. Yeah, I'm curious too, <laughs> because my <laughs> my like sort of want right now is to delete my Twitter. I want to delete it more than anything, but I want I don't want to do that <laughs> until I know my film's going to get funded without showing my follower count. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of am I mean, like you can the, take a screenshot. 
<laughs> I know, but like saying that I, because I feel like that'll be a thing. Like we need to know that you have people to promote to. And of course I can show mm -hmm. my email list, but I just feel like proving that I got, I have an audience that's willing to follow me. It's sure. helpful. And and so I feel like my my go-to, the moment we're in production is to just delete that Twitter. But then I also wonder once the film's out there, maybe I'll want to tweet about it. I don't know. And maybe I want to, like, I want to see what people are tweeting about it if they are. But who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah, anyway, the point is, like, trust your gut with certain things. Like, there's a, there was this one time I was on a bus. I was going to uh, the Blue Stocking film series in Maine. So I took the bus from the city. It was an eight-hour, I think, eight-hour bus ride. And this guy, we stopped. We, like, stopped at a pit stop for people to use the bathroom and to buy stuff or whatever. And this guy sitting diagonally from me, I was about to put my headphones back in and he was like, hey, what are, like, what are you doing to going to Maine? Do you live in the city or you live in Maine? And I was, I was kind of like, I'm going for a festival. My film is screening. I want people to come see my film. And so I told him, I was like, I'm a filmmaker. I have a film screening. And I was like, the moment I said it, I was kind of like, is he my audience though anyway? And the answer mm -hmm. was no. But the moment I did that, he Googled the festival and then found the films and then found me. And he was like, this is your name, right? And so he had my full fucking name. And it was the weirdest mm. experience of like, he doesn't even know my first name, but he saw my face because they have, there was a headshot of me on the website. And so- sure. And I was like, oh my God, this guy knows my name. <laughs> I'm on this bus by myself. And, and then I immediately kind of like regretted this whole thing that I did. Because he tried to talk to me, but I was like, I pretended I had a phone call. And then when we got off the bus, he again tried to talk to me, but I found someone else who was a woman around my age. And I pretended that she was a person I recognized and was like, oh, hey. And then he just walked and kept walking. But for all I know, he showed up to that festival looking for me. I have, you know, I have no idea. But right. that was an instance where I feel like I could have been smarter. I could have just been like, I'm putting my fucking headphones in, you know? Mm. Like, who cares if this dude... I, for I, The only reason I didn't is because I thought he was going to ask me, like, a question about, you know, a need to know something, like... Right. You were trying to just be a good citizen. Yeah, right. Bus exactly. passenger. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turned yeah, into... It occurs to me... Got yeah, it. potential creep town. I was yeah. just going to say it occurs to me through this, during this conversation that, like, our conversation about being public figures yeah. is so much, like, about being women as public mm -hmm. figures yeah. that is in, this, in such a unique way. Because you were talking about, like, you know, changing the way that you promote yourself when you like depending on the circumstance of when you are going to be somewhere you know the time if you're walking to a hotel and it just made me think of this uh other filmmaker that I know named Zach who I had uh drinks with a couple of weeks ago this will become relevant in a second but a couple of weeks before I got drinks with him um he went to the same bar that we went to, we eventually ended up going to and like tweeted a picture of himself joking that there was a writer's meetup at that location like where is everyone and it was like for him it was just like a joke like you uh -huh. know how thirsty writers are but then like three different people showed up mm. and they were like hey is this the writers meetup <laughs> and for him he had like apparently just gotten off an airplane from New Jersey and was like exhausted and had all his luggage with him and he was just wanted to eat a hamburger but like <laughs> people started showing up for this thing and like it was surprised him because he thought he was obviously a joke I'll be honest his tweet did not make it seem like that much of a joke the satirical language was vague <laughs> enough that it kind of did genu genuinely seem like there were he was doing some kind of writer's meetup but I was like as he was telling me this story and for him it was like oh it's so funny that people showed up but they were very nice and you know that was cool and I was like I would never yeah <laughs> like no. the audacity of white men to just like announce that they're somewhere at, at the time that they are there and have yeah. it work out fine absurd to me totally. absolutely absurd because like I'm fairly public uh, and certainly for, you know, speaking engagements, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm putting that out there. But like I am still paranoid about like telling people too much information about like my routines and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like I'll reference that I went to a coffee shop, but I won't post the picture or tag my location until I am long gone. Like I never right. post my location unless I am there with a crowd or with somebody else. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's like a changed be behavior for me because I remember early on I did sort of a, like, I'm writing at this cafe kind of a post. Mm -hmm. 
And nothing bad came of it, but after these specific instances, I was like, yeah, I'm not fucking doing that anymore. Like, if I'm going to mm-hmm. post it, I'm not telling you where that cafe is. I'm, it's going to be a close-up yep. of that coffee so that you or can't... Or I will post it later. Yeah, exactly. Like... Or I'll post it later. I'm already long gone. But I'm def- I probably mm-hmm. still won't even do that if it's my local place, you know, like, because I don't mm-hmm. want you hanging out there yeah. looking for me. <laughs> you know? Especially if it's somewhere you go regularly. Like, yeah, right. you and I are very routine-based people, and so yes. we all we have to be extra careful because, you know, if we mentioned we were somewhere once, it's probably because it's like nearby to us or the place that we always go. Right. Yeah, that's certainly a consideration. I will say, though, um, when I was out to drinks with Zach, Zach shout out to Zach Morrison um, and Kim Hoyos, shout out to Kim Hoyos from the Light Leaks. Uh, the three of us were getting a drink at this bar that he had made up a fake writers group uh, meetup for that people attended. Uh Zach and I got recognized. <laughs> we we were all getting drinks. And um, shout out to Paige Feldman. Um, she comes up to the table. I'd never met her, but obviously I, I know who Paige is. We are Twitter friends. And she walks up to our table and was like, I know you guys from Twitter. You're Zach and you're Brie. Oh, by the way, Brie, I love your podcast. And like Zach and I made eye <laughs> contact and we're like, that's the most bizarre thing that's ever happened. And, you know, it was a really lovely experience. But um, that was the first time I think either of us had been recognized from Twitter, not because we posted, we'll be at this location, but just out in the wild. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was gratifying. And I'm glad you liked the podcast. And I'm sorry I didn't have a sticker on me, Paige. Um, but <laughs> also, like, you know, that's kind of alarming. Um, also, just to to extend the ego trip, the one time that I have been recognized in public, but not at a like film event, because obviously I get recognized at film events a lot, um, because that's my job, uh, was Quinn and I were walking home from the subway in Brooklyn, and it was like night. It was like dark. And this guy walks up next to us and is like staring at me. And <laughs> Quinn and I were both like, what's happening? And he goes oh my god you're Allison from Brains and I was like (laughs) my whole brain exploded and it turned out that he was friends with a guy in the cast so it's not like he was like you know somebody who just found us on the internet however he was like but I watched the whole show and the guy that that I cast was in season two not in season one but this guy had watched the whole show to like understand what was happening and was like I'm a really big fan that was so cool I'm you know I'm also friends with you know this guy from your cast but like wow, I, I can't believe it. Hello. And I was like, this is so strange, but thank you. Um, and that did make me like, of course that was validating, but it was also like, maybe I don't want to be an actor. Maybe <laughs> the public figure that I am comfortable being is not also the character. Because yeah. I imagine that could get messy very quickly. You know, like parasocial relationships with writers and directors like us is one thing. Mm-hmm. But like for actors, it's a whole different one. Because at least we have a little bit of control over like how we present to the yeah. world. And like, but actors are so much the, I don't want to say they're the puppets of writers, but like it's not them. They necessarily have to you know become a whole different person that they ultimately don't have that much control over and I think I can't even imagine yeah totally and also I just think your face once you're like seen on screen constantly people are going to recognize you in your day-to-day a lot more than Mm -hmm. than if you're behind the scenes like as much as I've gotten recognized but only at really only at festivals I had one instance where I got recognized at a school and I got recognized for my work, which was cool. And it wasn't by someone who was even going to be in the workshop I was teaching, but I've never gotten recognized like at the grocery store and I that would mm-hmm. like bother me. So yeah, my advice is all focused around safety because I don't think there's necessarily sure. a drawback outside of that, outside of people becoming obsessed with you or like wanting Mm -hmm. to commit violence against you in some way. Outside of that, there isn't really a a negative to being a public figure in the way that we are. I like absolutely Mm -hmm. being famous is a whole other thing that, you know, I wouldn't want to touch where it's like you can't even do anything without everyone documenting and having an opinion on it. That would, no. Mm -hmm. But I don't really see a drawback other than that just I think you can start to feel like it's expected of you to share Mm -hmm. and so being aware of your boundaries is important for me it started to become so like I was I was you know in 2019 I took 34 flights 
and I probably took wow yeah I think that was my peak year but I might have been more in 2018 I traveled a lot in 2018 too um and that's not even including the buses and the trains I took places too for for teaching and festival screenings and so I took like who knows probably 100 lifts and on ubers mm-hmm. you know and so for most of my experiences were positive so I also don't want to say like it's all negative but the odds were not in my favor <laughs> you know I was taking mm-hmm. a lot of lifts I was traveling a lot by myself so I needed to be really smart because unfortunately the statistically the odds were not in my favor but anyway the point I was was going to make it had become so like second nature to constantly be posting about what I was doing mm-hmm. next whether it was a film screening whether it was an indie works coming up next week whether it was teaching, because I was doing that multiple times a week. It was just like something's constantly going on, something, 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 something. And I started to feel then when I when I had a slow week that like there was something wrong with me in my life because I wasn't sure. busy and I didn't have something to promote and, and show and show that I was being productive and like get likes and attention and people being like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. so excited, I'm going to be there. And validation. Yes. And so I think for me in terms of my emotional and mental health, <laughs> that was a drawback, that it was like, th- this isn't going to work long-term for me, and it, and it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I started to kind of wonder if I actually enjoyed the experience of it or if it was just like, because I w- it just it had to be. Um, it was your brand, so you right. accepted and- it. And then I and and then when you know the pandemic happened, and I decided to quit my job, and then IndieWorks just naturally ended with the pandemic. So I went from like you know with with Seed and Spark teaching multiple times a week, having IndieWorks once a month, so I was out at a screening, introducing films, meeting filmmakers, and then also my own film screening all around the place. All of that to then like nothing in 2021, and it and I had to really like untangle my identity from all that because it's like who am I if I'm not helping other filmmakers if I'm not showing work and speaking and Mm -hmm. all of that like I had to figure out who I am outside of that and I'm now in a place where I really like the quiet existence and that really my Instagram stories are just like the view outside my window and my cat Vic a million times a day because he and I now are very codependent since Addie died. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. So I, I'm enjoying it, but I also acknowledge that I have nothing going on, I have nothing to promote. And I and if I want the career that I want to have and if I want to keep growing my career, I have to dip my toes back into that water eventually. And I'm still sure. figuring out I'm figuring out how to do that because even yesterday I taught a class and all these kids in the class wanted my Instagram. And I was like, okay, but it's private. <laughs> like, and so sure. I might not approve all of you. And like, I didn't even know how to navigate that because I've made it private since moving. And I actually like it. I like seeing who wants to follow me and having the ability to approve them or not. But I don't think that's sustainable when promoting a film, for instance. No, not probably so, not. <laughs> so... So I'll have to really kind of figure that out. Yeah, I will say, speaking as a person who is in the middle of my uh, decade of being a public figure, <laughs> where <laughs> I'm still teaching for Seed and Spark, and also for the CBS program that I teach for, um, something that I have become especially aware of since the pandemic is the sort of like distinction between my public image as a representative for another entity versus a representative for my the work that I do myself. So this podcast, my films, hopefully my romance novels eventually, and then also myself as just like Brie Castellini, private citizen who has mm-hmm. thoughts sometimes that are unrelated to her professional career and how tenuous the weaving of those three identities can be sometimes because, mm-hmm. you know, when I am ostensibly a public representative of someone else's like organization or company that has restrictions that, you know, private citizen Brie Castellini would not have, Mm -hmm. but all of those identities have to coexist on the same accounts Mm. because there's, it's, it's not sustainable to have a Brie at Seedenspark account versus a Brie at Undead Burrito account versus Brie just in in person Brie mm-hmm. IRL account and like that has definitely been a conf- at conflict at times 
yeah um in the past and you know in the in the present day and like that is something that i don't know that there is a way around I mean, there's a reason why you have so many like insipid press clippings of like actors saying weird stuff because they're just like stuck in a room for 12 hours with people asking them the same questions over and over again. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're going to say weird stuff or like people being like really genuinely like earnestly promoting something that sucks that they know (laughs) sucks, but they can't publicly say sucks because they're not themselves in this moment. They are being interviewed as themselves. But they're not themselves. They're a representative of the, you know, piece of shit movie that they made yeah, that they can't talk contract. shit about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so like despite the fact that social media was meant to like connect us mm-hmm. and, you know, break down the barriers between creator and fan, there's still barriers. The barriers are just different. Just because we have easier access to people doesn't mean we have easier access to what they're actually like, what they actually believe. Mm-hmm. And that can sometimes be like confusing especially for people who have never been in the public eye fans who expect every quote out of their faves mouth to be their actual earnest opinion versus a soundbite that has been like pre-vetted by 18 pr people Mm -hmm. um and that disconnect can sometimes be frustrating and like obviously i don't have that to the same degree as a famous person but every once in a while like I will have to sort of go hard for something that I maybe don't necessarily agree with or feel strongly about. And then I will get people who like know of me by one of my personas and like start asking me questions that I'm like not at liberty to answer because Mm -hmm. of the nature of my being a public representative. Yeah. And I don't love that. And like that does make me hesitant for, you know, traditional media because like, do I want more visibility, but also less ability to be honest about my own opinions. Yeah, that's the I think that's the hardest part about our jobs specifically. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has this problem, but like our jobs that I used to have and that you have now require the success of our own creative careers to mm-hmm. be what makes us good brand ambassadors. Sure. But at the end of the day, you're a brand ambassador, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you're also yourself. And like you just said, you can't have these siloed off social media accounts and like be saying one thing on one and something else on the other. And I remember I had an instance where I personal opinion, Christina, didn't like the direction uh, a company was taking because I felt like it was exploiting filmmakers, but then got reprimanded because they were a partner of the company I worked for and I shouldn't be Mm. speaking publicly (laughs) out against them. And if I had an issue, apparently I should have taken it to them directly as an employee of their partner. And it was like a situation where I, I had to kind of it was, you know, a slap on the wrist, but it was like, here's your wake-up call that you, what you say is not completely your, your own. own yeah. Yeah. Um, and eventually, I was over that and I left. But, you know, mm-hmm. that was a point of privilege that I could do that because, like, everything we've talked about in past episodes where, you know, my spouse yeah. had income and I, and I had enough outside income that I could leave, but not everyone has that choice. You have to make a living. And so sometimes, and and that's, I think it's hard because some people I know, they hate having a nine to five day job that's not, that has nothing to do with the industry and how that can be like soul sucking and, and suck your creativity. And so I'm not saying that that's the better option, but in some ways it is because you have this clear boundary where it's like, there's no conflicts of interest when you wanna mm-hmm. speak out. But I also think that that's like our experiences are training us for everything that you just said. If we really want to have careers where it's like, oh, you want to speak out against one of the big studios because they've done something fucked up, but also they're giving your film a shot. And like, that's the only way to get this thing made. And it's constantly like picking your battles and 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 choosing your line that you're going to draw in order to exist in a problematic system you know totally i mean with this podcast you and i are constantly having conversations about like are we able to do this episode because we don't want to like burn the bridges that might be necessary to have a honest conversation Mm -hmm. like has enough time passed from the situation that we will definitely reference in this episode to like allow it to go because like there's a lot of things that 
both of us are still sort of have our hands tied about that like would be valuable insights to share with people would be honest about like our experiences in this industry mm-hmm. that we just like aren't at liberally liberty to talk about either for like the sake of our own careers or the sake of like other people that we know who are still like working with people organizations whatever and like that's also a constant conflict like can we maintain our credibility in this space and our you know interest in transparency while also not being fully transparent ourselves yeah that's complicated mm-hmm. yeah something that I'm glad that I did fairly early mostly by accident and then on purpose was like clearly designating my social presence by public versus private like I really don't use Facebook for public facing stuff like my Facebook is very locked down on privacy for privacy reasons Um, for a long time my bio on Facebook was if you know me from work do not add me on Facebook. I will not (laughs) add you go follow me on Twitter like I even put my Twitter at and some of my friends and family were like that's a weird bio. And I'm like, no, it's important because there was a period of time um, when I was starting at Sterable. And then eventually when I was at Seed and Spark, where like a ton of people who would like attend my workshops would try to like friend me on Facebook. And I'm like, no, 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 friend. That's this is that's not what this is. Mm-hmm. This is this is where I talk to my grandma and grandpa. Like mm-hmm. this is my spot. And I you know, that line wasn't ever hard line in the sand. Like there are certainly people who I'm friends with on Facebook who I am more a professional connection to than anything else but like even those are very sparing and every year I go through my Facebook and like delete people who I don't know because like I do want to maintain that as like this is for private citizen Brie Castellini and that's it Mm -hmm. and that was just the nature of how Facebook works where as long as you have some privacy settings in place like the expectation is people don't get access to your stuff until you approve them until you friend them back and so like that being the nature of that platform allowed that to stay private for me and so like I kind of was grandfathered in to my Twitter and Instagram being public facing and Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that but that is just how it is now and I you know have to be conscious now that those are not my private social platforms anymore and that was a little bit of a weird transition early on but I eventually kind of got the hang of it and so now I'm I'm just I'm always aware even when I'm posting Brie Castellini private citizen content like ostensibly these are still my public facing social platforms so is this appropriate? Is this going to be a problem? Is this identifying too many things about me um, for privacy's sake? Uh, and having that as a as a consideration is something I'm glad I did early on. I also did want to talk briefly about my experience being public facing vis-a-vis Ace and Anxious specifically, mm-hmm. because it's the project that has been most successful of mine, all things considered, uh, is the thing that people most frequently recognize me from, even if they don't realize it's me they're recognizing. I cannot tell you how many times I have been teaching a class and I used Ace and Anxious as an example for something and there, and somebody in the comments or somebody in the crowd goes, oh my God, you're the Ace and Anxious girl, <laughs> which I love. I love it when people know my work before me. Like, I'm so glad I did not act in that movie. I almost did just because we were on such a tight timeline. But I was like, I really just want to be director. I really don't want my face to be a part of this. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, that all worked out for me. But Ace and Anxious has also been a weird experience because it's such a personal film. Mm. um, And about a lot of things that I was still kind of working through at that time. And because it necessarily involves another person, because I have, you know, canonically been in a long-term relationship for a decade, I was in a long-term monogamous relationship before I came out. I Mm. continued to be in that relationship after the fact. And so when I'm being interviewed about Ace and Anxious or when I'm answering questions about it by people who either don't understand asexuality or are themselves asexual, I start getting asked a lot of personal questions that while I may be comfortable answering them because they involve my partner, that gets a little bit dicey because my partner is very explicitly not a public figure and does not want to be. He, early on in our relationship, even before I was like a known quantity at all, he did not like it when I took photos of him and put it on social media. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he's got his own stuff that he needs to work out in therapy, but like very (laughs) early on, I was this like, 
out there one and he was the private one and that was something that I'm glad we had kind of worked out privately before I became a brand um, because you know it allowed me to, to already have that protection in place for him but also like that did make it kind of complicated for me to publicly talk about like my asexuality and what that meant for me uh, without like involving him by proxy yeah and I still don't have a great like way to talk about that because I've had somebody mention before like well you know it's not his place like he doesn't get to dictate this like it's your sexuality and I'm like well it's really our sexuality <laughs> like we're, <laughs> we're in a long-term monogamous relationship like even if I kept his name out my mouth there would be implications that you could draw that I know he's not going to be comfortable with me discussing publicly and sure. it's not about like a man silencing me that it's about somebody that I care yeah. very much about not wanting their business everywhere. Yeah. But the conflict of me wanting to talk publicly about a thing that I wish somebody had been talking publicly about years and years ago does make that complicated. And that's also something for a lot of you out there that are listening. I know that you make very deeply personal content, but like if it involves somebody else, that's a conversation to have with them. You should know how the people in your life feel, especially if you're still in communication with them before you like, go out and say stuff. I know we have an episode that's like kind of about that, but really specifically, if you're going to make your brand a work that's very personal, be considerate of how that hits people. Yeah. I mean, I have a similar, my husband, he was, he's not on any social media and wasn't when we met. Um, and I really wasn't either. Like I had a Facebook page, but I didn't have a profile photo and I just like didn't care to use it. But a year into our relationship, I started crowdfunding and then really like dove into social media. But because we kind of started from the same place, it was clear to me like what his boundaries were. And he still just mm. really, he's always just been like, I don't want to be perceived in general. Like that's his vibe. <laughs> it's such a shame that they've never met. Our, our husbands would like each other so much. <laughs> They're yes, the same well, guy in so many ways. <laughs> hopefully they will meet. <laughs> but um. It's funny, actually, we were recently we were looking up some woman who was a reporter, a journalist, and she, I don't remember why we were looking her up. She had some impressive interview. And so we looked, we were curious. And then her husband's name came up and Justin clicked it. And his, his like Google information was like known as the husband of so-and-so. And Justin was like, I hope that that's what happens when people Google my name one day. Like, that's the extent that I want people to know. I just want to be known as the husband of Christina Rea. Um, that's adorable. Yeah. but That's uh, allyship, men. <laughs> yes. But because my work is personal, but not really, like it generally isn't about my, maybe, you know, you can read a script driver and about a married couple and you make assumptions about my marriage, but that's sort of the extent at which I would maybe mm-hmm. talk about my marriage. So it's very easy to, to avoid having to like include him too much in my, in my public figuredness. Um, sure. I think if anything, people are always like, does your spouse exist? Like that's. You know. <laughs> Did you invent him for yeah. some bizarre purpose? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like but for it, you, it's I, I think it's I, very complicated. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I want to be an open book. Like mm-hmm. I, I've always been that way. Like I always, t- I, I am a very much like a walking TMI because like mm-hmm. I, you know, who cares? There's it, it at first started as just like me not realizing that there should be a filter into what I say and then became me not wanting a filter because I would rather be honest and have like genuine honest conversations with people versus like have a weird like wall that goes up. Same, so yeah. my lack of filter early on ended up being useful to me. Mm-hmm. And also like especially because of the kind of work that I make, I, I, I want to be able to be vulnerable with people so that they know that it's okay to be vulnerable back. And mm-hmm. I don't have a traditional vulnerable personality. I am a battering ram, but of like extremely vulnerable personal information. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is a better combination personality wise than <laughs> other things could have been uh, and certainly have been in the past for me. But again, a lot of the stuff that I am completely open to like answering questions about privately, I can't really answer publicly and I also know that at a certain point 
I'm going to have to draw a line that I don't want to just because like it's nobody's at a certain point it's nobody's fucking business and like you know if I have kids ever or something like I'm going to be very locked down about that stuff I don't (laughs) think I'm going to go the the way of like you know Kristen Bell where you know I put emojis over my kids faces forever um but I am also not going to be a mommy vlogger like I feel very very protective of that like even growing up with only having the internet as a part of my life from like 13 on that informed a lot of stuff that I don't know if I want my kids to have informed to them. And technology has expanded in such a way that like, I can't protect them from everything, but I can certainly protect them from me. And even if like, I'm fine answering questions, I don't want to make that decision for somebody else. And also, you know, once the parasocial stuff gets involved, my transparency can be used against me and can make people feel entitled to even more or entitled to stuff that I used to be open about that I am no longer for one reason or another. And that is something that I haven't had to deal with yet, but is something that I am conscious of as I hope to continue being successful, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think for me, it's less my spouse and more my family when it comes to sharing stuff because I'm also a, I share too much information in general just in the sense that, like, I love talking about really, I don't know, controversial things. Like, I'm really bad at small talk. I don't know how to be in a yeah. social setting and have small talk. I really, But, I like, you want to talk about childhood trauma? Let's do it, you know? Like, I want to know. There's a reason that we're very good friends and we yes. used to talk for four hours before we had a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so that's me more just, like, in day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. On the podcast, it's easier to avoid because I don't I don't really uh, like portray my childhood and my work, you know, so much. It'll mm-hmm. maybe be like background. But uh, there are some times where I kind of like watch what I'm saying when it comes to the inspiration behind a thing because my story is my story, but it's not just my story, you know? Right. And, it, and I think it would become harder the more of a public figure you become to, to like not have the people around you have their business out there too. I remember once- mm-hmm. And have people commenting on it. We can be comfortable with people commenting on our stuff because like, right. you know, say whatever you want to me at this point, I've heard it all, like, I don't care. But as soon as somebody starts talking shit about somebody in my life, I'm like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. They they did not opt into this. Yeah. Like I have a complicated relationship with my brother and that's a whole thing I won't even get into. Um, but there was, I was quoted once, I was in this uh, Queens local paper And I was quoted as saying that I watched scary movies with my babysitter as a kid. And I'm I'm positive I said with my brother in that particular instance, because we didn't fucking have babysitters. Like, you know, we had sometimes family members, but by the time we were like older, my brother, we were just kind of home by ourselves. We were of that generation where it was like that people weren't like a nine-year-old and a and a twelve-year-old can't be home by themselves. But anyway, um, And I heard from my mom that my brother was really offended by that, <laughs> that he was like erased <laughs> from my story. And and because my brother and I are not very close, I wasn't like super apologetic about it, but it made me feel bad that he, like, he felt erased when that wasn't even what I did. Because like if I had said mm-hmm. something and it, I would own it, you know, <laughs> like if I'm going to offend my brother, I wanted to have actually done a thing to offend my brother, sure. you know? Like, <laughs> You'll look him in the eyes and offend him. Yeah. You won't do it, you know, by proxy. Yeah. But that was such a weird, and then also my mom, this was like a long piece because it was an artist on the rise, like Queens filmmakers thing. So I got a long interview, but the writer misquoted me quite a bit and also said oh, something no. about, she said that I wrote and directed about a donkey. And so I had to be like, can you correct this? Kelsey wrote about a donkey and it was too late for the print, but it, they at least did it on the on the website. And but also like they said something about my mom's job growing up that was incorrect because I said my, I, I said my mom had a full time job and two part time jobs growing up. And they said that she had like four part time jobs or something. And I didn't like think it was a big deal that my mom didn't like it. She was like, that's not. I had a full-time job and like she took offense in a way that I didn't see like I wouldn't mm-hmm. you know it didn't occur to me that that would bother her 
as an error sure. and but then to, so that was like an interesting thing to like being misquoted that mm-hmm. was something i <laughs> suddenly was very aware of um that that could happen sure. and it's one thing for strangers to think that you said that and that would suck if it was like something totally different from what you said but in this mm-hmm. instance it was like so sort of innocuous but it, because it was my family they didn't like that it was like the wrong information about our lives <laughs> Yeah, I think that's something that we haven't talked about yet is just like the nature of even if we are 100% in control of what we say and share and our boundaries at a certain point of public consumption, your words aren't even your own anymore. Mm-hmm. And the if somebody misquotes you even for something seemingly benign, that can have so many other consequences. And like it can be hard to prove a negative like, oh, I yeah. didn't say that. Well, is there a recording? Like, can you can you prove it? And if people mm-hmm. are already inclined to distrust you, if you already have an uncomfortable relationship with them, or even if you have a great relationship with them, but they have an insecurity that like is that is sort of tightly held, then even something completely out of your control that is associated with you can hurt people. And like, that's definitely something I am scared about because I I will say anything. But it can it would be easy to either completely misquote me, but in a way that doesn't sound like you're misquoting me Uh or leave important context out that I feel is is valid and important that would lead to like further misunderstandings. And I, I often wonder, like, if I ever get to a point of notoriety where like people have opinions about things that I say, if I will become like you, if I will retreat back into Mm -hmm. private and only come out to talk very explicitly about like work and that's it uh, just to sort of protect the other people in my life. And uh, because like, I don't care what you say to me, what, you know, whatever. But as soon as like you come for other people or you make inferences, I will get very protective. And the only way I can imagine being genuinely protective is to just retreat, which kind of sucks. It does suck, yeah, because, like, I, I love having conversations. I, like, I enjoy listening to other podcasts where people talk very deeply about their lives. Mm-hmm. And I – so I enjoy listening to that and, like, hearing other people's stories. And so I'm I'm always wanting to do that for other people too, especially mm-hmm. if they're trying to sort of figure out where what my journey was in getting somewhere, you know. But, yeah, it can, it can be so hard when you're not fully in control – of the output and mm-hmm. like how often are people releasing a full-length podcast and then a journalist will quote like one line from it and then right. misinterpret it in the like headline and even if in the main piece of the thing that they've yeah. written they have given full Most context people. like the headline is what people take and run right. with and then that becomes right. the narrative forever right right but what i'm nostalgic for is this level of fame where like you did interviews and that's how people found out things about your life <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't find out things about your life through following your life, <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. You get to control when you share pieces of yourself, but there yeah. isn't the pressure to be, like, regularly sharing pieces of yourself outside of those, like, very structured opportunities. Right. But, but like, that doesn't really – that doesn't exist in social media. However, I will say that I think there are some directors who are able to – get by they like they get enough fame that they then are able to pull back and still sure still do that and because they're not in front of the camera they're generally not being recognized right i think it's harder for women mm-hmm. women are often called upon to talk about like very specific parts of their experience that make them more visible like you are the one woman in the room tell us about what that feels like there's this great college humor sketch uh that uh, Rekha Shankar wrote and is in uh, where the setup for the sketch is that it's two like famous chocolatiers and Rekha uh, who's Indian is um, speaking from is basically like a Wonka style person Mm. and then the other the white guy she's being interviewed with is just like this very dry like I like chocolate because it is sweet kind of kind of guy Mm -hmm. and he keeps getting asked these very whimsical questions and she a like literal like magical chocolatier keeps getting questions like as a woman of color what is it like to be in the chocolates industry and (laughs) the like sort of that that aspect and I Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot when we're having conversations like this because I think it's true that when you as much as like we get less attention in ways that are useful to us we get more attention in ways that like 
force us into being public figures when we don't necessarily want to because like we're unique right in a way that people find that they can package without having to think about us as humans right right and the whole like yeah you know work life family balance shit that you know men you wouldn't even know if they have a family (laughs) whereas women are sort of automatically put on the spot to speak about that sure And I think it also just like inherently because of the patriarchy, you're pushed into wanting to speak about that to offer insight for other marginalized people to Mm -hmm. say like, this is how I navigate this whatever. Because like- traps you in its own way. Right, exactly, it does. Like when I think about how I feel a duty to talk about my spouse's like stable career (laughs) and Mm. income, when talking about my ability to pursue my career, because I think it's bullshit when people pretend that they don't have some sort of a cushion and like, and that's sure. mine. And it's disingenuous and it's unfair to people who are trying to figure out how to survive in this industry when people don't acknowledge their cushions. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think it's unfortunate because in order to be able to unplug completely, you have to get to a certain level of fame that we're both saying we don't want. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't really have answers, but I just think, you know, everyone has to find their own, everyone has to draw their own line and everyone mm-hmm. has to decide what makes sense for them in their lives and navigate it as safely and responsibly as they can yeah i think my final thing that i'll say on this subject is that like it's easier to loosen boundaries than create ones where there weren't in the first place so starting more conservatively and cautiously might be the best option because if you restrict people's access to things that they used to have access to they are very upset and even if you are completely within your rights to set those boundaries when you change the expectation that has been the status quo that can be very painful to people whether or not you mean it to be so if this is something that you're concerned about and you are starting out in your public figure adventure maybe it's better to start super locked down and kind of like loosen the reins as you feel more comfortable and confident in the space versus the other way around if that's possible for you that might be what i would advise that's good so uh for segment time i actually don't really have anything this week i I don't there's no segments (laughs) there's no drama alert there hasn't been any screenwriting drama recently there's just been general drama um and although i did want to share we don't have a breaking news segment officially but i just thought this was really interesting that youtube is now the number one streaming app on television like the mm. of of the like breakdown of apps that are used for streaming through like TV sets, YouTube is number one. And I just thought that that was interesting and uh, certainly something that I will be mentioning in like distribution conversations with indie filmmakers in upcoming years. But like, I think that a lot of, especially people our age still have this idea of YouTube as like the place where you watch cat videos versus a like <laughs> genuine like media consumption tool. Uh, Mm. you know on the same par as like Netflix that I think it actually is Mm. so that's just something to think about is like YouTube being the number one most streamed platform is interesting and worth considering when you're thinking about distribution for your content is interesting Uh, do you have any buds anything you're looking forward to right now that you can actually share Um, well, I'm excited about our script. We're like 60 pages in and it feels like it's going to be a long one because of where we are in the story. (laughs) I know when, when you, when I looked at the script most recently and looked at the outline, I'm like, I think we need to, (laughs) we need to go back to the drawing board because this is going to be a four hour movie of us just being like, fuck the film industry. (laughs) (laughs) But I like where it's at. So I'm excited about it. I think we could contain it to 120, but that's probably still too long. <laughs> probably, especially for the kind of film that it is. But it also is, it's so much of it is dialogue that I feel like it's a can, fast 120. It is. It's like its like an Amy Sherman Palladino script. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Honestly, would love to have an Amy Sherman Palladino career. She is nowhere. You can't find that woman if you wanted to. I that's know. good for her. <laughs> yeah. Totally. She just sort of like comes out of her cave every once in a while, says something vaguely offensive, and then gets like right. an Emmy winning show on Amazon the next day. Right. Um, so not the <laughs> offensive part. <laughs> yeah, that's that's perhaps not what I aspire to. But 
Yeah, that that she has the she's like the one of the only women with that kind of career, but it's because she started so much earlier. This is not the point. Uh, my butt is also <laughs> our script. I'm excited about it. I uh, and I'm also I guess I will just say broadly, like despite all of the sort of um, cautionary tales we've shared in this in this episode today I a bud of mine is that I am getting to do in-person events more often Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. like they are certainly more exhausting and there is certainly more considerations to have but there is nothing like the energy of a crowd that like is genuinely interested in what you have to say and getting to talk to people after the fact versus just logging off and like immediately going to bed (laughs) like I don't know I, I miss that I miss the energy of being around people and I've got a bunch of trips coming up um locally and beyond that are going to allow me to do that for the first time in many, many years. And I am looking forward to, to getting back on the road. Yeah, that's great. And hopefully you'll visit me. <laughs> uh, yes. Hopefully Working I can back. intersect them with a visit to Christina. So that's, that a, that's an be, additional bud. That's a future bud, bud on the yes. bus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the buds are already in the future. It We'll work out the metaphor later, guys. Uh, yes. Thanks for listening to us talking. <laughs> Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them are in our episode description. And thank you to our Booby VIPs who are our $10 supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash breakingoutpod if you want a shout out at the end of every episode, just like our great friends Brandy Nicole Payne, Kelsey Rauber, and Norman Steinberg.